0: I am a police officer. I work for Max and Crane Works. I'm the manager of labor relations for the Ohio Valley District of the United States Postal Service. I am an administrative assistant at a university. I am a professional athlete. I am a public school teacher. Whenever you meet someone for the first time, there's a list of questions that you're likely to ask. And right near the top of that list is the question, what do you do? And we all know the meaning of that question, right? What do you do means, what do you do for work? What's your job? What's your career? And how do we normally answer that question? Well, somebody might say, I'm an accountant, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a plumber. And I've given that kind of answer many times myself. I'm a minister, I'm a preacher. But the truth is, if you have a job as a plumber, that is not who you are. Your vocation is something that you do. Today, we're continuing our series called Together. And this series is about navigating relationships in a complicated world. And today, we're talking about work. We're actually spending two weeks on this topic. Next week, we're focusing on relationships with people at work. But today, we're talking about our relationship to work itself. And this is a huge issue because on average, we spend a third of our lives at work. Over a lifetime, that adds up to 90,000 hours. So why do we devote so much time to our jobs? What's the purpose of our work? Well, I've been looking at Scripture to see what God has to say about this, and I'm so excited to share what I've found. And first, let me say this. No matter who you are, but especially if you're a follower of Christ, Your vocation is connected to a higher calling. We see that in Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul gives instructions specifically for Christians, and he tells us how we should approach our work. In Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes, "...whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters." since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. There's a great perspective in these verses. Somehow, no matter what job you have, there's a way for all of us to honor God in our work. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to spend the next few minutes on a journey that leads to this destination, And you know, this is a very interesting time to have this discussion. For the past couple of months, the coronavirus has caused a massive disruption to our economy. And these days work looks very different for a lot of us. Maybe you're working from home for the first time. Maybe your hours have been cut back. Some of you are in a field that's actually ramped up during this crisis, and you're putting in more hours now than ever before but then some of you watching today have been furloughed, or you've lost your job completely. This week, I saw that last month, the unemployment rate in the U.S. climbed to 14.7%, and that's the highest rate since the Great Depression. Some economists are expecting that number to climb past 20%. It's hard to imagine one out of five Americans without a job, but that's looking like a real possibility. And when you're out of work for any reason, that can really damage your sense of well-being. Maybe you had a job making widgets, but you haven't been able to make widgets lately. Well, that kind of messes with you, doesn't it? When your job is taken away, you might feel like your life has lost some of its meaning. You might even feel like you've lost your worth as a person. But that's not true, right? Every human being has intrinsic value apart from your career or your job. So this much is clear. We were not created to find our value and our identity from our work. That's an extreme position that we don't want to take. Remember, if you have a job as a plumber, that's not who you are. That's what you do. But you know, there's a different extreme on the other side. Over here, you look at work as kind of a curse. At best, it's a necessary evil. You get up and you go to your job because you know you gotta make money to survive. You just put in your time because you wanna get paid so you can buy things and maybe take a vacation now and then. Over here, your motto is, I don't want to work. I just wanna bang on the drum all day. Now, if you're under 30, I should tell you that's a quote from an old song. You can Google it later. But anyway, we've got these two extremes here. On one side, you're just consumed with your work. It's wrapped up in who you are. This is where you become a workaholic. You focus so much on your job. It's hard for you to take a break and get some rest. You start to neglect important things and important people in your life. But here on the other side, you hate work. You wish you could avoid it altogether. So we've got these two extremes, but we also have all kinds of options in between. And I have to ask, where do you think God wants us to land on this continuum? Well, I believe God created us to rise above this whole continuum. Up here, work is a blessing, not a curse. And we do find meaning and significance in our work, but not to the point where it defines us. I came across a quote from Tim Keller that sort of explains this higher level. Keller said, Our vocations are one avenue for doing God's work in the world. Now, Keller is not just talking about ministers or missionaries here. He's talking about all vocations. So this statement is fascinating, isn't it? And it sounds really good. But is it actually true? Let's say you work at the Taco Bell drive-thru. If you're handing out seven-layer burritos, can you really say you're participating in God's work? Or what if you drive a garbage truck? What if you work at a used car lot? What if you run the register at Bath and Body Works and you spend your day selling all kinds of products that smell really fancy? Is that job truly connected to what God is doing in the world? Well, the reality is as long as your career is not in conflict with God's will, and as long as you do good instead of doing harm, then yes, you are participating in God's work. Now, we get that understanding from Scripture, but to know the full story, we have to go back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. This is where we read the creation story. This is where we learn that when God made the human race, he put a little of himself in each one of us. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. That verse says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we've all been created in God's image. But what does that mean? Well, it means in certain ways, we reflect some of his nature and some of his character. And one of the ways we reflect God's nature is in our work. Think about it. Does God work? Does He have a job? Absolutely, He does. He's constantly working. In fact, let's think about just a few of God's occupations. First, He works to create. Second, He works to cultivate what He's created. Third, He brings order to the universe. And fourth, He works to restore what is lost or broken. When we look at the Bible, we can see lots of examples in each of these categories. In fact, the Bible starts with an account of God as creator. Genesis 1-1, the first verse in the Bible says, "'In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth.'" Now, that's a familiar verse to many of us, but when we stop and really consider this, it's mind-blowing. God made everything we see out of nothing. No raw materials, no blueprints. He created this entire universe, even though there had never been any such thing as a universe. I don't know about you, but that's pretty impressive to me. But let's move on to that second category. God's job of cultivating what he's created. To cultivate something is to nurture or to help grow. This is not creating it's enriching what was already made. Psalm 65 has a great description of how God works in this area. That psalm says, The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. Now, we don't always think about it, but God is working every day to cultivate the world that he's created. He's the one who makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall and the seasons to change. And we might say these things happen because that's just how nature works. But who set up the laws of nature Who sustains and maintains what happens in nature? It's God. He's the one behind it all. Now, what about that third category? How does God work to bring order? Well, let's look at another Psalm. In Psalm 139, David says to God, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I especially like that phrase, intricately woven. That's so true, isn't it? The human body is so complex and so well-designed. You have all these systems working together in harmony, the skeletal system and the digestive system, the nervous system, and on and on. And that word system indicates some kind of order, doesn't it? Our bodies are not a chaotic mess of cells. They all function in a way that's miraculous, and it's also organized. All over creation, we can see God's order and design from a single atom all the way to our solar system, there's that word again, and even beyond. God has done so much to bring order to our world. And then there's that fourth category of God's work, to restore. And this one has to be my favorite. God brings restoration in all kinds of ways. Look at what happens in spring, when the dead of winter gives way to green leaves and flowers and new life. You could also look at a person who was spiritually dead and broken, but then that person is restored and made new through a relationship with Jesus. Now, it's true that we live in a broken world, but we have to remember that God's work is not done yet. In Revelation chapter 21, we get a vision of a time when God will complete the work of restoration. In Revelation 21, verse 5, the Apostle John writes, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And for all of us who belong to Jesus, this is the day we're all waiting for. So when you take these four occupations and you put them together, they add up to a lot of work, right? But this is God's nature. This is part of who he is. He's constantly working to bring good things into this world and he's also working to prepare a far better world that's yet to come. But let's bring this back around to us. Where does our work intersect with God's work? Well, again, we have to go back to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, to Adam, the first person God ever made. In those early days, even before Eve came along, look at what God did. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So this is very interesting, isn't it? God did not create Adam so he could just lie around and enjoy paradise. God gave Adam a job. He gave Adam meaning and purpose. And from the Garden of Eden all the way down to the present day, God has given all of us a similar purpose. And deep in our souls, we know this, right? Perfect example. When you get a day off, it feels pretty good to relax and just lie around. But if you take that one day and stretch it out into several days or several weeks, it stops being fun. It starts to bother you that you're not accomplishing something meaningful. And that feeling is evidence that God has called us to work, to make a positive difference in this world. In Adam's case, God said, your job is to take care of this garden. And that picture is very appropriate because we can think of this whole world as a garden. And each one of our vocations is a way to take care of this garden let's go back to our list of God's occupations. Remember, we were made in God's image. We reflect His nature and His character. I got to thinking about this, and it hit me. So many of our jobs fit into at least one of these four categories. For instance, if you're in construction and you build a house, that's a reflection of God's ability to create, because you're bringing something new into the world. Even if you follow plans that have been used before, That particular house never existed until you built it. This is also true of an artist, like a musician who writes a song. I've written several songs in my life, and almost all of them are really bad. But the cool thing is, when a musician brings a new song into the world, you're creating something that no one has ever heard up to that point. So many of our vocations reflect this creative side of God's character. But then what about cultivation? What kind of jobs fall into this category of nurturing and helping to grow? Well, if you're a cook in a restaurant or you work in a grocery store, you are literally providing life-giving food. Or if you're a teacher, you're cultivating young minds. You're helping students grow and thrive and get to the point where they're making their own contributions to the world. And then What about the way God works to bring order to the universe? What jobs match up with this category? Well, one example might be an accountant. If your finances are in complete disarray, an accountant can bring order to the chaos and then help you file your tax return. This category could also include a city planner, a systems manager, or maybe Marie Kondo. Lots of possibilities here. And then there's that one last occupation, to restore. How many examples can you think of here? Well, you've got doctors and nurses and everyone in healthcare. They're all working to restore people to physical health. And then there are counselors and therapists working to restore people to a place of mental and emotional health. I also think of a friend of mine in Savannah who's an architect working in the field of historical preservation. It's fascinating to see him take an old, dilapidated building and restore it to the point where it is once again beautiful and functional. Now, there may be jobs that don't fit into any of these four categories, but I think most of what we do falls into at least one of them, maybe more. And it's been so helpful for me to see all of our work through this lens. All of our vocations provide an avenue for doing God's work in the world. Now, we can't come close to doing things the way He does. For example, we can't create something out of nothing. We need raw materials. At the same time, though, all of our vocations do help us reflect the image of God. And that means there is inherent significance to every job, isn't there? According to God's design, all work is service. It's stewardship. It's a way to care for the garden of this world. And now we're ready to go back to the verses I shared in the beginning. Remember that? We read Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Paul wrote, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We can read these verses from a different perspective now, can't we? Look, look at those first three words. Whatever you do, any legitimate job is a chance to serve God and serve others. Any job is a, to some, is a chance to contribute something meaningful to this world. And when you have the chance to do something significant, it only makes sense to work hard and do your best. If you're making burritos, Make the best burritos you can possibly make. And it may be that your boss will notice that and give you some kind of recognition, but maybe not. Your boss may never give you the recognition you deserve, but either way, it's okay because you can still go to work with the motivation of honoring God. You can work to fulfill the purpose he gave humanity way back in the book of Genesis. And you can think of your work as a way to reflect his image. And when that's your motivation, the reward is greater than anything you can get from this world. Hebrews chapter 10 says it well. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. Sometimes it's difficult to just get through the day whether you're talking about your job or life in general. But there is a promise for every follower of Christ who keeps working and keeps serving and keeps enduring. God promises an abundant life here and now, and he promises an eternal life that will last forever. Now, if you are not yet a follower of Christ and you have not yet claimed those promises, we'd love to help you make that decision. You can go to our website, go to plumcreek.orgslash connect, and we can start a conversation from there. But as we wrap this up, what's our takeaway from today? If you're watching this on a Sunday, what difference will it make on Monday? Well, hopefully, we'll remember to rise above that continuum where we see work as a curse on one side and we get our identity from work on the other side. And hopefully, we'll remember that no matter what job you currently have, You can make a meaningful contribution to this world. You can make a meaningful contribution even if you happen to be unemployed. You can find some way to create or cultivate or bring order or restore. I've talked about caring for the garden of this world, but for just a moment, I wanna go out to my backyard and show you my literal garden. Now, I realize this garden is not large or impressive, but I wanted to show you something. Just a few days ago, my son, Luke, and I built this box for a raised bed. Now, this project had nothing to do with my job or my vocation, and it wasn't very difficult to put together, but building this box was extremely satisfying, and I'll tell you why. First, my son and I created something that never existed before. Second, we're bringing order to this little garden. And we're also beginning this process of cultivating and restoring the garden to a place of growth and health and productivity. But my favorite part of this whole project was that I got to do it with my son. I was teaching him how to use a saw and a drill. I was taking on the job of a father as God designed that role. It's the work of cultivation, helping my son to grow and become the man that God wants him to be. There's something extremely satisfying about this kind of work. And like I said, this project was completely separate from my normal occupation. So that means we can be free from that unhealthy tendency to define ourselves by our work. Our value is not rooted in job performance or career accomplishments. Our value comes from our identity in Christ. Our meaning comes from Him. And we respond by fulfilling the purpose that he laid out for us. So let's go into this work week and remind ourselves of this mindset. At the beginning of this message, several of my friends introduced themselves by stating their occupation. Let's go back and listen as they introduce themselves in a different way. I am a Christ follower who teaches children in my community. Christ follower I follow cranes around and put them together and I'm a Christ follower who befriends international students and shows them God's love I'm a Christ follower whose responsibility it is to ensure that all employees are following the rules the regulations the policies procedures and the collective bargaining agreements of the United States Postal Service I'm a Christ follower who pitches for a professional baseball team I am a Christ follower responds to emergency situations and works with troubled youth to help for better outcomes and safety of the community. That's a totally different perspective, isn't it? So let me give you a challenge for this upcoming week. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus, your action step is to take that same statement we just heard and apply it to your specific situation. You start that sentence with, I am a Christ follower who... And then you finish by saying what it is you do. And then here's what you can do with that sentence. Go ahead, write it down, and put it in a place where you'll see it every morning. And before you start your day, before you go to work, repeat that sentence to yourself. And then pray a prayer. Say, God, help me honor you as I go to work today. And from there, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for giving meaning and significance to our lives. I thank you for connecting our work to your work. And Lord, uh, please remind us of the things that we've talked about today, that uh, our identity and our value does not come from our job performance. It comes from you. You say that we have value. You love us which is an amazing thing. And Lord, help us to respond to that love by uh, living out the purpose that you've laid out for us, living out that ultimate purpose of uh, giving you glory and honoring you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who, who makes all of these things possible. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.